Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to exploring exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. This is an hour devoted to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us integrate all of our knowledge and perhaps even challenge some of our ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. Indeed, an hour for the open-minded, willing to think and perhaps even risk their foregone conclusions in order to discover an entirely new dimension in their thoughts and being. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right. Each week I read a few of your letters as our way of recognizing the importance you play in shaping and improving our show. Uh, Last week our show was all about personal responsibility, and it fired off uh, a storm of letters. Uh, of course, we discussed the deployment of intertalk technology, but one of the aspects we covered was the law of attraction. That is, are you responsible for everything that happens in your life? If thoughts attract, then obviously negative thoughts must attract negativity, etc. Or so goes the implication, doesn't it? Adam wrote, thank you for your willingness to discuss honestly these subjects that are like double-edged swords. So many times the good intentions of some produce more harm than good. I think the dependence on the supernatural actually robs us of our real superpowers. Like you said, nothing is a substitute for good old hard work, even if no one wants to hear that message. Now a guest in the chat room wrote in all caps, I guess, as to shout to, to get my attention, Dear Eldon, No one ever says that people deserve what happens to them. I don't know why you insist on that word. No one ever said that. Okay. Now, first, it has been said. Bob Proctor indeed stated that James Ray attracted the Sedona Sweat Lodge disaster according to the law of attraction. But set that aside uh, for a moment, because who wishes to get into a he said, she said kind of discussion? Let's just use plain old logic. If our thoughts attract, then they attract. If through constant focus on virtuous matters of manifestation, they can be so delivered, then what is there to prevent thoughts of perverted animus from creating of kind? I mean, is there some teacher out there saying that thoughts only create good stuff? Here's the deal. If I say the table is round, that presupposes it's not also square. Not only is the law of attraction not a law, like we use the word law, it also implies certain properties by definition. So, sorry whoever our unnamed guest was, but your statement simply doesn't meet the smell test. Lauren wrote, Thank you so much for again clarifying the so-called law of attraction on your recent radio show. I left an abusive marriage nine years ago. The man I left has continued to torment and sabotage me all of these years using the family court system and by using my children to get to me. As I sought answers and compassion from the spiritual community, I can't tell you how many times I have been judged as having attracted this cruel man to me, like I was damaged and had done something to deserve his cruelty. I have tried many life coaches and have not found one that didn't judge me based on their belief in this law. I must add that Abraham Hicks have a video on YouTube talking about abuse where Jerry Hicks is poking fun at a woman he used to date that kept getting involved with abusive men. The people in the audience were laughing at this commentary about the woman. 
It was appalling and very disappointing to hear this from someone with so much influence in the spiritual community. I am no longer one of their fans. I have been challenging this belief, and it has not been easy. It has not been an easy road, as it is so ingrained in spiritual circles. Thanks again for speaking the truth. Now, Dora wrote, with a dissenting opinion, I respect your work, and I listen to you often. Tonight, I am listening to you talk about the law of attraction, and I recommend you listen to Esther and Jerry Hicks, or read their work on the law of attraction, to get the real core of this topic. The secret just skims the surface and leaves too much out. To talk about the law of attraction without reference to Abraham Hicks, in my mind, does it grave injustice. Paul wrote, Bob Proctor feels if you feel in your heart and see it in your mind, you can have anything you want. Do you agree or disagree? Okay, now, Paul, I both agree and disagree. Imagine that you are competing for a world championship against other elite athletes, all of whom use Bob Proctor's approach to the law of attraction. Will they all win? The answer is obvious. No. Still. Take another look. Imagine that you are using the method to improve your skills and become the best that you can be. Now you have a winning method if you combine it with the application or that four-letter word, work. Kevin wrote, today's show is an example of why I block this hour every week if I can. We are getting an honest show from real people who care about their guests and listeners. Wow, what an honor. Thanks. Well, the thank you really goes to you, Kevin. Thank you very much. Lucy wrote, thank you for your fabulous Hey House show series and products you offer to help our inner self to overcome issues. Well, you're more than welcome, Lucy. Cindy wrote, I love your show. I have learned so much from it. I hope your show continues on Hey House. Well, so do we. Lee wrote, I love your CDs. They are definitely effective. Aaron wrote, found you on Hey House Radio. You seem so practical. I'd love to find out more since I'm trying to overcome a food addiction. Okay, Aaron, we'll look at dealing with that in an upcoming show, and thanks for your feedback. Mariella wrote, The Intertalk CDs have done wonders for me and my children. I like to buy them as presents for those people in my life that I love. I am so grateful for this program. And Violetta wrote, I really, truly enjoy your show every week. I told my family and friends about your show and your life-changing products. I ordered about 10 of your CDs on various areas of life, and I'll wait a couple of more months before sending you the testimonials. But let me tell you, I have been experiencing great positive results. Well, that's wonderful. We appreciate your feedback, and we wish you the very best, Violetta. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at eldontaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. You can also just leave comments on my website. I do try to read all of your letters. Obviously, we can't get them all on the air, but they do impact our programming. I highly value your input and do encourage you to provide your feedback. And once again, thank you for your continued support. Now to today's subject, one of my favorites. We were to have Lynn McTaggart join us, but due to unavoidable circumstances, she was unable to make the show. So in my usual fashion, I reached out to someone I know you'll enjoy as much as I do. But before I introduce today's guest, let me set up the subject of the show, Animals and the Afterlife. At first blush, one might fairly ask, how would anyone go about determining an afterlife for animals? How could an honest investigator even begin to answer questions like, 
Do animals have a soul? Or is the theory of transmigration correct? Do animals have a chance to become humans? Among the ancient sacred documents of the world are many references to animals. Dr. Carol Agnew believes that when animal communicators request contact with specific animals that have passed over, they are probably putting themselves in contact with what the Bible refers to as familiar spirits. You'll all meet Dr. Agnew in an upcoming show early next year. In her book, God's Covenant with the Animal Kingdom, she refers to a number of biblical passages illustrating God's expectation of our love for our animals as members of our family. For instance, in 2 Samuel 12 and 3, the account of a man who loved his lamb as a daughter is shared. In certain Eastern traditions, the theory of reincarnation incorporates the idea of transmigration. Reincarnation is a central tenet within the majority of Indian religions, traditions such as Hinduism, Jainism, and Sikhism. And the Buddhist concept of rebirth is also often thought of or referred to as reincarnation. Not all accept literally the idea of a soul reincarnating as a plant or animal, but most do see the whole process as a matter where, through some upward evolution from plant to lower animal to human, the soul evolves. Okay. Now, additionally, there are many who profess knowledge that insist our human friends may pass over and come back as pets to assist us, to serve as guides, if you will. So does that therefore mean that our beloved animal friends may well be former human beings, human friends? In Isaiah we read, The beasts of the field glorify me. What exactly does that mean? As most of you know, I used to ranch and I have my own stories about animals. For me, there is no doubt but what they have a special consciousness and a willingness to communicate with us if we will but open ourselves up to the idea. Now, I know that doesn't sound very scientific per se, but as we emphasize during this show, I do in everything I do, what good is a scientific theory if it fails to square with real life? My life experience somehow trumps theory. I need only float upward unexpectedly once to forever doubt the law of gravity. I only need to have an animal share something with me once and know that what they shared is genuine, is true, to forever discard the notion that animals are unable to communicate. All right, our guest today can answer all of our questions about animals in the afterlife. She is a remarkable woman. Woman, I will get that word out, with a genuine passion for her work, and it comes through in her book, Animals in the Afterlife. I'm speaking of Kim Sheridan. Kim is the founder of Compassion Circle, an organization whose mission is to expand the circle of compassion to all beings. She is a highly respected and sought-after expert on this subject, and her time is devoted not only to animals, but also to those who are left behind when the animal passes. Her book was named by Forward Magazine Book of the Year, uh, and in my opinion, if you've ever loved an animal, you must read Animals and the Afterlife. Kim is also founder of Enlight House Entertainment, and during our break, you'll get to see her play the lead role in a short trailer of her own making. So, okay, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Kim Sheridan. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome. It's it's always awesome to hear what you have to say. It's indeed our pleasure, Kim, and we're delighted to have you here. As you know, animals are one of my favorite subjects. Let's introduce you, though, to the audience by, you know, having you share a little bit how you got involved in the work that you do. What inspired you to do it? Okay. Well, you know, a couple of things kind of converged to get me to where I am today. Uh, Initially, it was my childhood passion for two things that I didn't at the time even see as being related, which is so funny now, and that is animals and the afterlife. It seems that half of my time in childhood was spent taking care of animals, doing animal rescue, just communing with the animal friends in my own life. And my secondary passion was looking into the afterlife. I was always fascinated at the idea of, of ghost stories and that type of thing. And it's, I think perhaps because in the mainstream, those two subjects were kept so separate, it never occurred to me that, hey, the afterlife could include animals. So it, it honestly wasn't until adulthood that I really put all of this together. And it was upon the loss of an animal in my own life and my own grieving process and looking for answers that really led to all of this and brought all of this home. All right. Now, you heard the setup piece, so I guess I'm just going to ask you bottom line. We'll get this one out, and then we'll, we'll flesh it out during the show. Do animals have an afterlife, a soul? Absolutely. My, my answer is always the same. If humans have an afterlife, then animals have an afterlife because all of the evidence really is identical. And there's a heck of a lot of evidence. Now, well, now we we have had some guests on our show that are experts in NDEs, and indeed, uh, uh, animals seem to uh, have go through the same neurological experience that humans go through, at least in one explanation with an NDE. So, when you say the the evidence for human uh, life after death is exactly the same as animals. Other than this anatomical evidence, uh, what are you speaking of? A lot of it's experiential evidence. I I tend to be what I call an open-minded skeptic. I'm very open-minded, and my life experiences have forced me to be because I've had some pretty out-there experiences. But I'm also skeptical and very logical-minded, and so things have to be proven to me before I'm going to present them to anybody else. So for me to say this, especially to go on the air and say this, to write a book about this, it really had to be proven to me and, and be pretty rock solid. So I looked into every avenue uh, from you know, religion to science. I looked into personal experiences. You already touched upon uh, animal communicators as well as mediums. And what I spent most of my research on was the everyday people who don't expect to have these experiences and do. And that does include NDEs, as you mentioned. Uh, and even just the, so many times you hear about people who've had an NDE and they have a, a remarkable personality change or a you know, a paradigm shift. Well, there have been cases of animals who have had these NDEs. You know, they're proclaimed basically dead on the table, and this is verified. And they come back with a personality change, a pretty significant one. And it always seems to be a change for the better, you know, in the the minds of of the people who, who share their lives with them. And you just start to look at all of this and say, wow, it is the same thing. And the more you look at it, the more you realize, well, duh, of course it is. When we're, when we're talking about souls, we're no longer talking about bodies. And these, these bodies are just temporary costumes we wear in our, in our physical lives. And even when you start to look more into the bodies, even in my research and spending so much time in the vet and in you know, end-of-life care with animals and being around a lot of loss and a lot of death, even just looking at their little bodies and just seeing 
the, the, the heart, lungs, and the ar- basically the arms and the legs, and you start to just even just see an animal's body as it's laid out. I mean, they are so similar to us even physically. But when you go on to the spiritual realm and you start to have, you know, messages from the beyond, all these things that seem very bizarre until you start looking into it. And many times these experiences are coming to people who don't know an animal has passed, which, you know, eliminates the idea that it's a grieving mind conjuring up these, you know, fantasy experiences. But no, these are real experiences. The more you see, well, of course, you know, these are souls. And of course, the soul goes on. Okay, now I I want to get into some of the many stories that you tell uh, in your wonderful book. But before we do that, we just stay kind of on gross uh, issues, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take them apart in specifics. In your experience, Kim, do human friends that have passed over sometimes come back to be near us, to guide us, or to help us? In my experience, yes, that is the case. Okay. How about transmigration then? In in your research, have you gleaned any indication as to whether this theory might have some truth to it? I mean, um, I think of a couple of my animal friends, and if animals are evolving upward, they've already surpassed many humans that I know. Still, I think of it, and I think, well, if that's the instance, I certainly would. I mean, they certainly deserve to be human. What's your take on this? My take is absolutely the same. I mean, there have been so many cases of people who have lost a beloved human, and right after that, an animal will appear, a mysterious animal will appear out of nowhere. And the timing is uncanny, and the interactions of the animal with the people is uncanny, and the things that they bring to them and the healing that they bring to them. And there have been cases where this has happened, and once the grieving process is is pretty much worked through, I mean, we will always carry that loss in our hearts, but when it's dealt with and, and managed and brought under control, sometimes that animal will disappear just as mysteriously as they appeared. Other times they'll stay for the, remain, for the duration of their life. It, it's a very individual thing, but there have been enough cases of this that I don't doubt it. There have even been cases of, of I, I don't know if I've mentioned the story when we've talked in the past, but there was one experience of a young man who was a monk in a monastery, and he had one blue eye and one green eye, and Every day at the same time when, when the bells chimed, he sat in meditation in a certain spot. And Long story short, he ended up actually passing away. And right after that, a cat appeared who had one blue eye and one green eye. And mm-hmm. every day at the same, same time when the bells chimed, he sat in that same spot and meditated. Coincidence? You know, we start when, when people start trying to chalk all of these experiences off as coincidence, the best you can conclude is that this world is just one big coincidence filled with one big coincidence after another because (laughs) there are just too many of these experiences. Another thing I do want to add is that sometimes on the surface, when people who've been brought up with specific religious upbringing, and I have a religious background myself, uh, and have really bought into all of the dogma of the religion without really looking into experiential evidence and what parts of that religion may have actually been written by humans with an agenda— I find that a lot of the people who've had these experiences and whose minds have been blown with these transmigration experiences are people whose religion doesn't even accept it. And then they come to me and they're in a quandary because they're, well, my religion tells me it's bad to believe this, but I'm having this experience and I cannot doubt what's happening in my real world existence. And that really, that changes a lot of people's paradigm. And it happens a lot. And I think maybe it's all part of not only the healing process, but the spiritual uh, growth of that individual. 
And so many times the animals seem to be coming into our lives to help facilitate that, that spiritual growth. All right, Kim. Now, we, we both of us have kind of looked at this from a religious standpoint and the setup piece and in what you just said. Uh, but, you know, there are traditions like the Sikh faith where, for all intent and purposes, uh, you, you basically begin maybe at a level of, uh, of an atom, and you evolve from that systematically all the way up the ladder. So, you know, from an amoeba, if you will, uh, right on through to a human being. And then there are, you know, systems like in Christianity where, you know, man is given, quote, dominion over the beasts of the field, which they seem to translate to mean, you know, I can do anything I want to do to him. You know, uh, as the American Beef Council says, if if you know if you want to be a man, you'd better know how to cook a hamburger and eat meat. So how do you how do you deal with with the, that conflation, or do you? Well, what I look at is a lot of times, so much of religion is a matter of semantics. Because when you look at the word dominion, that's an English word, and that particular religion was written in a different language. And there have been so many translations, dominion and many times is translated as stewardship. And if you combine that with so much else that is in that scripture, uh, you know, whatever is done to the least of these is done to me and blah, blah, blah. There are so many examples that clearly state in compassion and do unto others as you would have done unto you. Thou shalt not kill. It doesn't say thou shalt not kill humans. <laughs> you know, there, you could look at that and there are so many examples in the 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 overriding message is one of compassion, love and compassion. And if you just look at that, then the answers become obvious, and you can stop taking semantics to try to justify a habit or an addiction and look at the truth that's in your heart. And many times people are trying to cover this truth up in their heart because it's too painful, and, and I understand that. You know, everyone's process is in their own time. But I will say that many times I've spoken to audiences of, filled with people who are hunters, who sport hunters, hunters for food, whatever, and something turns on in their minds when I start talking about this subject and start bringing up so many of the examples. They'll stop. I won't even say anything. They'll stop themselves, and I've had many experiences, almost identical experiences, and they'll say, wow, you know, I never really Mm. thought of this, but if what you're saying is true, then in the afterlife I may be facing all these animals who I'm killing, And, and something goes on in their head, and something shifts. And then it's no longer about semantics or explaining away. It's about personal experience. Okay, but now, just quickly, because uh, we have a hard break coming up, you're not really saying that it's a violation of thou shalt not kill, the commandment for an Eskimo who must, to survive, uh, kill an animal. You're not really saying that, are you? I'm saying that, you know, everything's an individual Okay. Yes, there there are a lot of examples. <laughs> we'll have to um, flesh that one then. We're, yes. <laughs> we're coming on a hard break, Kim. I thought, okay, we'll come back to that. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. We're talking uh, about the delightful book, Animals in the Afterlife, and, and I can't you know recommend that too much, by author Kim Sheridan. If you're not already in our chat room, now's a great time to join the conversation and catch the short film of Kim playing the role of a frustrated fairy. Just go to eldentaylor.com forward slash chat. Stay with us during the break. You won't want to miss what's coming up in the next half hour. We'll be right back after these words from some of our friends.
Every day, every moment, we face choices. Yet, how many of those choices are truly our own? Are you ready to step onto the path of discovery? Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestseller, Choices and Illusions. Now revised, updated, and expanded. Eldon combines provocative information, scientific research, and his own life's journey into a powerful message that we have the power to change. All we must do is be willing to choose to take the chance and change. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. InnerTalk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing Animals and the Afterlife, a wonderful book by author Kim Sheridan. Uh, if, if you love animals, you, you, I, I, this book will pull tears out of your eyes. It'll put goosebumps on your back. It's a marvelous book. But before we get back to today's show, I want to invite you to like our Facebook fan page for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. As a fan of the show, you'll receive special announcements and incentives from time to time as our way of thanking you for your support. I would also like to invite you to join me on Facebook while you're there, and of course you can follow me on Twitter. If you like our show, please spread the word. We genuinely appreciate your support. All right, let's get back to the show. Before the break, Kim, we were discussing... You know, the commandment, thou shalt not kill. And and during the break, I'm thinking, you know, about what you're saying and, and animals, you know, appearing before me that I may, because I've had to kill predator animals in order to protect my livestock. Uh, and I think of that Eskimo who can't farm. He, you know, he must, he's forced to, you know, kill that sea lion or that seal uh, in, in order to survive. So flesh that idea out for me. Certainly intent or something must mitigate there. I, I Absolutely. I truly believe that. I feel like when we're, we start getting into things such as spiritual so-called laws, it's mm-hmm. more a matter of survival versus choice. When we're in a survival situation, we're in a survival situation. It's about survival. And some people or some animals' whole lives are in that state, and that's an experience they're going through for whatever reason. I feel that uh, laws or whatever you call them, commandments, really only apply once we've moved from a survival state into a choice state, when we have a choice. So I think if someone makes, does any action, you know, let's, for example, let's just look at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. 
If someone comes to my door and says, you know, we've come here to kill your husband, is he home? I'm going to lie. And I'm not going to feel guilty about that. And I don't feel I'm racking up negative karma points or whatever you want to call it because I'm saving my husband's life. If, if 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 an orphan is starving, they've been abused and kicked out on the street and they're starving to death. And there's some food out on a table for sale, and they don't have any money, and they take that food to, to, to quell those hunger pains. Yes, they've, they've, they're stealing. Is that wrong? No, they're in survival. You know, they're doing the best they can. I, and again, same with thou shalt not kill. It's all about the situation. So I really, truly believe this is when someone's in a state, which most of us are in the modern Western world now. We're in a, in a position of choice rather than survival when it comes to these fundamental issues. But again, there's always exceptions and always examples. So I think that... Okay, so now... I'm sorry, go ahead. One other thing I was going to say, in general, I find that those who are, we'll call (laughs) ne'er-do-wellers, people coming from a more, um, I don't know how to say this, less evolved, let's say, for example, a sociopath. You know, someone's coming from a different space. They want to justify. Sometimes they will basically use laws, twist laws around to their personal advantage. I find that truly good people, people who are good at heart, on the other hand, go the other extreme and tend to beat themselves up and feel guilt over things that, that they really need to let go because it, it doesn't apply. So I don't know if I'm really making much sense right now, but I okay, think... No, you, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah, but I, I've got a trick question for you then. Okay. okay? <laughs> uh, how about animals themselves? I mean, you know, you can look into nature, and one of the things that disturbs a natural philosopher intent on finding, you know, peace in the world is the predaciousness between animals. Uh, and some animals, you know, they don't just kill for food. They kill for fun. Coyotes is a case in point. Cats play with mice endlessly, torturing them before they kill them. Um, and, and I know mice go into shock, et cetera, but okay. If, if the animals themselves treat each other that way, um, what happens when, when they get to the other side? You know, I honestly don't know exactly what happens, but from what I, everything I've looked into in all of my research, what I gather from the life review process is that, is that any being looks upon what they did from a, from a higher state and really understands it from a new level. So many of those animals you talked about, predators and so forth, are in a state of survival. And then we have those, those uh, relatively rare yet, you know, pretty consistent experiences and stories of, of so-called carnivorous animals who, who actually choose not to kill. And there have been many cases of this, many documented cases of this, animals who, who by biological design are supposed to kill for their survival, and yet reach some kind of point where they choose not to. And so, again, it's just that I feel it's coming, it's moving from survival to choice. And sometimes that happens within a lifetime. Sometimes that happens, you know, in the next lifetime. And it's all, it's all a journey. It's sort of like if someone says, well, you know, God, God created, you know, predators, therefore it's okay to kill, let's say, for example. Well, one could then argue, well, God created Satan, therefore it's okay to be evil. You know, you, you know, <laughs> we could just go around in circles. So I think it's really a matter of once we're in a space of choice, whatever the higher choice is in that moment, in that moment. And if, it's, okay. if a person or an animal is in survival, well, that choice is survival. And do, do the predatory animals truly understand they're torturing 
their prey? Is it like the sociopath who actually gets pleasure from causing harm? Or is it more they're just, that's their instinct and that's what they do and they're not really thinking, oh my gosh, I'm making this person or this animal suffer. I'm causing fear and, and pain. I don't know, but we we anthropomorphize a whole lot of of animal behavior, and I think therein uh, is a great error. We've got some calls and and some questions out of the chat room. I could dominate all your time, but I I, I will see first. You know, I will will pass over to those. We have, uh, out of our chat room, a a very interesting question, one that I've often entertained. Uh, Diva Doc says, I often feel that animals will die to take the place of a human who is near death. Can uh, the guest address this? I have a a friend from China, and he has Mm -hmm. shared with me that there is a belief among some people there that that's exactly what happens. I I was not actually aware of this belief until recently, but since it was brought into my attention, I have seen a number of cases in which an animal in someone's life has passed, and very often that animal has, has symptoms that are in some way related to something the person is working through. And in that animal's passing, it's almost as if the person has been healed or purified in some way. And, and many times their belief is that, wow, she took this for me, or you know, he took this on, on, on my behalf. It was a sacrificial act. So I don't know. This is something that has been brought to my attention more recently but it has. When things are brought to my attention, I find that they start coming up a lot, almost as if to emphasize the point. So I am paying attention, and I do feel that there is absolutely some validity to this. You know, I share your uh, observation about what we both would interpret as synchronicity as opposed to coincidence. I can remember not long ago a friend of mine in Mexico telling me about uh, a dog of mine that passed, and essentially telling me that she had passed for that reason. And since then, I have heard this uh, belief repeated a number of times, including coming up on today's show. So I, I don't know. I guess, like you say, there's a point where we can say coincidence explains things and a point where mathematically coincidence is uh, nonsensical. Nancy Joe says, uh, this is a, a great topic. This, again, from the chat room. Uh, but she just recently lost her job, and she has 15 cats, Kim, and she can no longer care and feed for them. She says, uh, I fear, I'm quoting now, I fear may will be put to sleep because of health and overpopulation issues. Does Kim have anything she can offer me to ease my mind? I am finding this very hard to do. Well, I do know in working in the animal rescue community for many years, there are so many groups who will come forward and and assist and have come forward and assisted in situations just like this. Uh, My specialty is, is, as some may know, is in primarily small, very small animal rescue, but I'm hooked up with animal rescuers in all fields. Uh, I would be happy to pass the story along. I'm not sure where this guest is located, but I'm sure there's a rescue somewhere in your community. Uh, who would rise to the occasion and assist in this situation. And so feel free to contact Compassion Circle, and I will forward this on to as many resources as I have to get the word out to get good homes for these cats, if that's that's the direction. While we're on that subject, Kim, give uh, everybody your website, contact details, et cetera, so that they could follow up with that. Okay, sure. And the follow-up for the animal rescue in particular, that website is CompassionCircle.com. Okay. Just like sounds. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
Let's go to the telephones and talk to Barbara from Upper Pennsylvania, Michigan. Uh, Barbara, you're on the air with Kim Sheridan. How can we help you today? Thank you so much for taking my call. And I actually live as far north in Michigan as possible, right on the shores of the Lake Superior um, Peninsula. It's very rugged. And I'm going to keep this brief. I'll tell, I have a special relationship with birds. Two examples I can give you is I had a pet crow when I was about 12 years old. It had fallen out of the nest and injured itself, and I tamed it at home. And I would let it fly and whistle, and it would come back to me. And now this, for the last three years, um, this eagle that I've always called Queen Mother lost her old mate, and she... Um, came back the next year with a, a younger male who really was not able to provide sufficient nutrition for this baby eaglet. And when the eaglet was a fledgling, the mother brought the eagle to me. For, for, heard the sound on the top of our log camp, and it was the eagle trying to land. She landed on our boat motor, and she imprinted on her, us, and I've been feeding her treats. I mean, uh, off-date store chicken or whatever I can get my hands on cheaply. And we've cultivated a relationship now to the point where I can stand on the rock beneath her pine tree and talk to her. Um, Can you comment on the spiritual connection I made with that? Was I a bird last time around? (laughs) You know, any story. That is a beautiful story. And anything is possible. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, specifically what that connection is, but there's clearly something there. And there are a lot of different directions you can look in this. You can look into the whole past life thing. Uh, there are animal totems. That might be something I'm not sure if you're familiar with or if you've looked yeah, into that. The, I have a gray wolf. Okay. And sometimes other totems will come in with specific messages or for specific reasons. Okay. So, so this, that's something I would look into that as well. I uh, This eagle... Um, connected with me and with my brother who um, I lost him to suicide, my youngest brother. And he used to send me eagle feathers to the point where I was sitting on the porch of our camp. And I said to my husband, would you please go over to that cobble beach? Because Michael had the eagle leave a feather for me. And there was one. Wow. There was one. So Okay. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, there, I mean, so I received gifts from Michael through the seagull. And that brings up the third possibility, which I, which you basically, in my opinion, validated, and that is uh, it's a message from a departed loved one, whether it be an animal or, in your case, a human. And it's ah, a messenger. Yes. Okay, thank and you And this so is much. one of those cases that comes up so, so often. Wonderful. And, yes. and to know that this regal eagle has condescended to choose to make a relationship with me just astonishes me. Absolutely, and I, you know, that this is this is very significant. This is very significant. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. You validated what I've felt, what I've intuited. Thank you. Good for you. Good for you for having that intuition and listening. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Barbara. All right, Kim, you're breaking up a little bit. Are you on a radio phone, Kim? Oh, me? No, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. on an internet phone. Does it not work well? Uh, well, no, we're getting a little breakup, but. Uh, there's no sense us calling you back and trying to get a better connection then, but that's okay. We'll just, we'll just stay with it. Uh, I may ask you to repeat some things because we do get a little bit of a breakup, okay? 
Absolutely, but, and I apologize for that. Not a problem. We, we have a, uh, an interesting remark from Amy out of the chat room. She says she was listening to Doreen Virtue, who said animals are always still by our side because they don't know they have passed. What's your position on this? That's her question. I feel that in some cases that's true with animals, and in some cases that's true with humans. There are some who don't realize they have passed and continue on, and there are others who get it and know where they are, and there are those who know exactly that they have passed, and they're there because they feel we're not ready, that they help. Many times, it's so, it's so interesting, many times we've lost an animal, and we're just mired in grief and guilt and just beating ourselves up over you know, we should have euthanized, we shouldn't have euthanized, if only we'd been there, why did we go to lunch just at that moment, what about that time we didn't give him the toy he really wanted, blah, 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 we have this whole dialogue going, we're feeling just terrible, like this poor, this poor dead animal has just suffered so much at my hands. What we don't realize is that quote-unquote poor dead animal is actually an enlightened spiritual being who has passed to the other side and sees it, and they're worried about us. They're like, get over it. You know, you did everything the best you could. It's all beautiful. I know you love me. I'm fine. I'm on my path. I'm worried about you. And so many times when they're around us, that's what's going on. But our guilt and our grief sometimes prevent us from seeing that. You know, Kim, uh, and you and I have talked many times, and and, uh, I've quoted your work indeed in my books. Um, I love what you do do. Uh, But... You know, when you say that, I had a horse uh, friend that uh, is as close as I've ever come to being close to an animal, and I've been very close to many, uh, that uh, passed. And, uh, you know, in in my mind, in my dreams, uh, this horse, by the way, you know, I mean, he'd, he'd get down in the middle of the alleyway after a ride, and I could climb into the middle of his belly and just scratch him, you know, while he rolled into the, into the wood shavings, et cetera. It was an unbelievable relationship. But, uh, you know, in, in my mind, I've seen that when I pass, he'll be there. He'll be one of those first uh, life forces, I guess, that, that I will encounter because we had a very deep, long, long love, if you will. Uh, how do you see that? I mean, is, do animals have a separate heaven from human beings, or is there one heaven? There's one heaven. Or one afterlife. I don't There's know that that's the you, right word. Right, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same place. And there are all different species there. And so many people who have been there. And it's interesting, some of the most compelling cases are, are NDEs of people who had nothing to do with animals in their, in their quote-unquote real life. And they're just astonished when they get there. And I, I believe this happens for a reason. So many times, it seems like the most profound experiences come to the biggest skeptics. And then the believers are like, man, you know, could I just have some kind of a sign? I think it happens almost to teach the skeptics. And um, those of us who already kind of get it, maybe if we start having less experiences, well, that's because we already get it. But um, I'm sorry, I got off on a tangent. <laughs> I, I believe that they they know exactly what they're doing, and they're there for us. And what you said about your horse, I really I really get that to be the case. And so well, I hope people- so. I certainly hope it's not wishful thinking. Now let's do this. You, you know, one of the things that really impressed me about your work is the detail that you go to in. 
in gaining supporting evidence. You tell stories. And uh, uh, so l- let me just ask you, of all of the experiences you've had, Kim, what, 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 give us a couple of the most uh, compelling pieces uh, or stories, experiences that demonstrate this is just not wishful thinking. Okay, absolutely. And before I do that, I want to just quickly say for those who've had experiences and written them off, sometimes it's the sheer numbers of experiences that really start to give them validity, whether it be a sign, you know, a a butterfly coming to someone or feeling them jump on the bed after they've passed or hearing them or, or even seeing them. These experiences happen to so many people and all of these experiences taken as individual experiences could be written off as a grieving mind conjuring this up. So to answer your question, the experiences that I find the most compelling are those who are, that are witnessed by third-party witnesses, people who don't know the animals have died, people who don't have any vested interest and don't have a grieving mind that needs something to be conjured up to comfort it. And these are cases that I've, I've run into time and time again where a person will see an animal and in some cases literally touch that animal. They will see, I mean, to the, I mean, literally, like there's an animal in the room. Oh, there's a beautiful dog in the room. Hi, what's your name? That kind of a real mm-hmm. life experience. After the fact, when they bring the animal up to, to the person who, let's say, was in the other room, wow, that was a beautiful dog. I didn't know you had a dog. What, what's her, his or her name or so forth? That's when the person will say, wait a minute, what dog? And they'll describe the dog, you know, the color of the fur and, and so forth. And they'll say, well, that was my dog, but, you know, she passed two weeks ago. And there have been so many cases of this where the animal will come to a witness who does not know the animal has died. And through that indirect route, they prove not only to the skeptic or the outside witness, but to the person who's had the loss, wow, this wasn't someone's mind hallucinating. This was, this animal really was here. Wow, and, yeah. and, and many times I believe it's because, because we have these filters put over our logical mind so that we can really survive and have this very tangible, very physical experience. We, we have almost this veil in front of us, shielding us from the spiritual world. So it's like, okay, hey, I want to focus on this physical life right now. And, and that shield combined with just our belief systems, because we all know what power beliefs have. And just the belief that, oh, if they're dead, I can't see them. Well, yeah, then they're dead, so I can't see them because I believe that. If someone doesn't know they're dead, all of a sudden those shields, are, are the veil is lightened or lifted, and there is nothing in the way to prevent them from seeing that because their belief system, they don't know the animal's dead, so their belief system's like, oh, yeah, there's an animal. There's nothing preventing them from seeing that. And there That's are enough incredible. cases of this. You, you can't, you, there's no way to explain that away. It goes back to that, you know, how many coincidences are we going to explain away? How, how many times are we going to add up on the calculator the law of averages and, and see that, these numbers of coincidences are, are way beyond any kind of coincidence. And time and You're again, right. those are the most compelling, I feel. Those are the experiences that bring even the skeptics over to say, okay, there's something going on here. This, is, this isn't just woo-woo. This is, this is real. All right. Let's, let's go back to the phones. I'm again dominating you, but we're running out of time. So let's get Judith Ann in from Sarasota, Florida. Judith, you're on the air. Or, yeah, yeah, you're on the air with uh, Kim Sheridan. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. What an honor. Um, I'm trying to find out, with regards to one particular pet that actually currently another individual, a volunteer, is kindly keeping because of the situation, and so that. Um, Go fast, uh, Judith. We, we only have about anyway, a minute. Yeah, the 
the animal actually suddenly started growling at night, sort of like the exorcist, sort of like he was being possessed. And I've had him checked out medically in many ways. I've gone to many spiritual type of folks and um, have gotten all kinds of different uh, readings with regard to uh, why this may be occurring. But he'll actually just growl and growl from the other other side of the house, but it's only me that he just loved and loved and loved, and one day it just changed. All right, Kim, question. Can dogs be possessed like that? And what's the explanation? We have about 30 seconds. Okay, 30 seconds is going to be tough, but um, there are a lot of things that could be going on, but I will say that many times animals are seeing things we cannot see, and it could be someone or something that's attached to you specifically that he's seeing and you're not. I don't know if you've explored that avenue, but that's an an avenue I would explore. I've actually had an experience just recently with an animal who was actually seeing a a departed animal and no one else was seeing her, but he was. And it was, it was actually scaring him because he knew logically that she had passed. All right. Now, how could Judith uh, contact you uh, after the show, Kim, if uh, she needed to get more information? The best way would be to go through the website and uh, give that again. That's compassioncircle.com, and that has the most direct route. The indirect route is animalsandtheafterlife.com or kimsheridan.com. And the book is Animals in the Afterlife, and it's a great read. And, Kim, we're just out of time. We We could do this with you for a lot longer. We'll have to bring you back, but I thank you for being here. And I want to thank all of you for listening today. And I hope you've enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again same time, same place next week. If you have comments, do let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. 